Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and chair of the family law group at Mills and Mills LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, I'm excited to be sharing a male perspective on divorce. So often, uh, women are more open to chatting about their feelings and their experiences, so we often only hear female perspective. And so I'm really grateful to have on the podcast today, Steve Key, who is um, here and he's going to provide us with a male perspective on so many of the issues surrounding divorce. Um, By way of background, Steve is a multi-award winning strategic communications executive who also happens to be divorced and remarried. He's able to provide listeners with a male perspective on divorce, remarriage, blended families, And all of those things are questions that we're going to get into. So I'm grateful to have you here. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Well, thank you for having me. Now, why don't you start off by telling uh, listeners a little bit about um, your background and, uh, you know, how long you were married for children when you were divorced, like just sort of the the general stuff uh, from your story. Well, I, uh, I was married young by my standards at at the age of 25. I was, I started in a career in media and uh, eventually into media relations and communications. I met my, uh, my first wife uh, following the breakup of a, another engagement I had when I was 21 years old, when I was way too young. Uh, (laughs) We met, we met actually at a radio station uh, and, uh, you know, she was much different than the first girl I was engaged to. Uh, and we decided to get married. And we were married uh, back in 1987. Uh, I was 25. She was 24. But right from the get-go, I knew there was something that just wasn't right. We weren't meshing. We weren't a couple. We were almost two people that were parallel playing. We both had a focus on wanting children. Uh, that was difficult to, 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 to happen. We went through uh, fertility doctors and uh, our first son, uh, William, was born in 1991, uh, which was five years after we were married. And that was a, a blessing. And, and then my second son, Carter, uh, was a surprise. Uh, he was born in 1993. And uh, we had this cute little family unit lived in Mississauga. Uh, but there was always, we, we, we never, we never really connected. I, I put myself into a lot of the kids activities. I coached hockey. I coached lacrosse. Uh, we spent a lot of time around the sporting community, but we didn't spend a lot of time, uh, Joanne, who was my first uh, wife and I, we didn't spend a lot of time as a couple. So the marriage then lasted about another 10 years until, uh, I decided, enough was enough. Uh, I just had to break away. And that was hard because you have young kids and she certainly did not want this to end. She was content in the situation, but I was, uh, I was ambitious and I wanted more. So we broke up and, and, uh, it was a very difficult, uh, three or four year period until we were able to actually settle everything. And uh, a lot of nasty things happened in that period of time. So how old were your children then when you actually separated? 
I think William was uh, 11 and Carter nine uh, in, in around uh, there. Um, they were young, still in, in, in uh, middle school. Uh, and you, you feel you're missing a lot of the school activities, the day-to-day activities. My, my ex-wife would, would know the other parents. She would know the, um, the teachers a little bit better than I did, uh, where I was really focused more on their, their sporting activities. So there was this divide that, that took place and, um, she struggled a lot and was very angry at me. And so any kind of negotiation to, uh, to finalize the marriage took a long time. And so many things were said. Uh, we did all the cliche bad things, probably uh, discrediting the other parents and, uh, and, and arguing in public and private. And, and these were things that I think the kids remembered and it was and it's something I'm ashamed of now, but uh, at the time, all I was caring about, I was doing well professionally, was how much this was going to cost me. And every time I opened my mouth and I was opinionated, uh, it would cost me more money. <laughs> so so it, 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 it took a number of years and uh, I met uh, my current wife, uh, Cynthia. Uh, and uh, she was very patient through this process. Uh, but in 2010, my, uh, both my parents had, been, were, had died. Uh, and I finally picked up the phone to Joanne and I said, listen, life is too short. Enough is enough. Can we come to terms and just talk about this as adults? Um, and we were able to negotiate something that led to the divorce uh, there were still hard feelings uh, from her uh, part, uh, but I think she realized that you have to move on. And she knew I was seeing uh, Cynthia and that uh, I was never going to come back. So best to take the next step. That makes sense. Now, um, in your marriage, like you mentioned that, you know, right, it, seems, it sounds like right from the beginning, some, something wasn't right or you weren't on the same path is that um like did you guys argue a lot or it just you just didn't have the connection really that you ultimately wanted in in a relationship it's funny that the first engagement i had with the the girl out of college um we argued all the time it was like we we fought but there was a there was a spark there was a passion and with joanne we didn't argue we didn't talk we didn't get into um to any sort of common ground. She didn't like the things I liked. I didn't like the things she liked. But we had some sort of bond to to eventually get married. But I remember the day of the wedding, uh, thinking to myself, I'm I'm making a mistake. And wow. and and <laughs> I still went, I still went through with the wedding. Uh and we we our honeymoon, we were in Los Angeles and uh and I kept thinking, uh, well, this is going to get better. It's going to get better. And it never really got better. That's not to say I didn't have some good times. No, of, of course, we had some great times and we produced two 
wonderful kids, but uh, when your partner is not the most important person in your life, uh, then I think there's something that's wrong. And at the age of 25 to 30, as a man, uh, you're still growing and you're yeah. still, you're still, and I was, I was very ambitious at work. And, uh, at that time I had left the media world and I was working for the Toronto stock exchange, heading up their communication efforts. Uh, so I was being exposed to, you know, fairly exclusive dinners, uh, meeting CEOs, uh, getting into a position where I felt that almost our class structure had changed. And it was like, I can't bring her to this particular event or this particular party because she's just not going to fit in. And that was, that was a bit sad and, and maybe, maybe too judgmental on my part. But uh, I, uh, that's the way I was, and I'm not proud of it. But uh, but that's how I, I I handled things on a daily basis. It was about image. It was about trying to be the best I could be, and I was leaving my family in the wake. Um, now you mentioned that you know it was you who was the driver behind the separation and divorce. So, did you have a lot of guilt surrounding that? Especially given that she—it sounds like she didn't want it. And so, if, and if you did have guilt, you know, how did you cope with that? The guilt was more focused on the effect it was having on the boys. Um, I, I felt that she would be better in a relationship. Uh, that was more aligned with her um, her interests. Um, I'd always wanted something good for her. I, I wanted her to find someone who she eventually did, but I wanted her to find someone that would spark her passion. I was worried seeing that the kids were starting to get quiet. They, uh, they weren't as engaging as they had been before. Uh, we did not fight or argue over access or, or, um, or any of these things, and we, we came to financial terms. Everything worked that way, but she didn't want this because I had upset the apple cart, and I was looking for bigger and better. So, you know, buying the condo downtown, uh, we had had a cottage up north, which I, in the, in, in the actual settlement, signed over to her uh, because I just wanted out, and I just wanted to have a fresh start. I was going to be a great bachelor who who never uh, never had to be accountable to anybody or anything again and did you like I often you know some of my you know friends who are are married and as you know from my social media I'm divorced um you know I find sometimes when people are married they have that grass is greener syndrome a little bit where they see their divorced friends or their single friends who are out there dating and meeting all these people and you know when if especially if you're in an unhappy marriage it can seem like the grass is greener um did you sort of have that feeling as well and and like personally i don't think the grass is greener but i don't know that might have been how you how you may have experienced it differently maybe you know your bachelor time was a good time well no no you think the grass is greener i i um i often relate this story to uh well, my, my, my current wife, uh, that the Christmas before I met her, and this was 2007, so this was a good 
five or so years after uh, after the, the the breakup that I sat in my condo on Christmas with no decorations, with nothing. And I would go see the kids for a couple of hours on Christmas Day, but I just felt so alone and and almost devastated. I had, you know, met a few people over the years and kind of dated, but nothing of any real significance. Then that that Christmas was an eye opener where you think the grass is greener, you think things are going to get better, but you're the loneliest person on earth when everybody else seems to have something. And I didn't feel I belonged in the family anymore. I didn't, even my parents uh, didn't appreciate, didn't like what was going on because they had been married 50 years. Um, I had done something that nobody else in the family had ever done. And now I was feeling like I was paying the price for that. So there was a bitterness, there was an anger um, that, what I thought was going to be great uh, was really a sad existence. Now, I found when I was going through what I call my lonely years, um, you know, my way of dealing with it was to just go out all like, whenever I didn't have my kids with me, I just went out. I went on date, tons of dates with people I wasn't even that interested in just because I couldn't be home by myself. And I, and I self-medicated by drinking um, which wasn't good either. And so I'm wondering, how did you cope with the loneliness that you experienced during that time? Well, I did uh, a fair amount of dating, but the, the, the problem is when you're in your 40s and you're a male and you're trying to date age appropriately, uh, other people in their 40s, every woman I seem to find had their own baggage from a previous marriage or a couple of young kids and... And I didn't want, I just didn't want that. I, uh, I, uh, I felt that, you know, they had their priorities. And this is where maybe the, the men and women situation are different. The women traditionally are the caregivers of the, 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 the children. The men are sort of there to oversee, which is the, the traditional nuclear family almost. And now I was, I didn't fit or belong anywhere. And that was, it was frustrating because I wanted so much more. So even though here I was, Christmas 2007, thinking, well, you know, I have a great condo. I'm living downtown. I can go out to any restaurant. I can meet anybody. Uh, Maybe at that point, I figured out that I needed my own pack. I needed something that was mine and you know sure i still would see the kids uh, and that but i i felt that i was drifting apart from my my own family the the, the family i created with joanne uh, any of the friends that we had had when we were married that they they sort of abandoned me it was uh, so i i put myself a lot into work and and uh, while i was successful that way um other people at work have their lives too, and it doesn't necessarily involve me. Right. Now you mentioned um, that you and Joanne, you know, kind of when you were in the thick of um, things and the hostility, uh, how, you know, you both fell into um, the behavior of, you know, saying some negative things about each other to the children. And, you know, I think 
any parent who says that they've never done that, I, I think has to be lying. Like I know, you know, at moments, you know, throughout my uh, separation and divorce, you know, I would be lying if I said I've never said anything bad about my children's father to them or that, you know, when, that he hasn't said anything bad about me. But, you know, the, it, with us, it's it's not the common thing. It's, it's not that often. And you, whenever I do, I usually apologize to my children and say I shouldn't have said that and you know we have a conversation about it and um, I find you know I have clients uh, you know and some who you know do that to a really unhealthy degree where I can see they're harming the children they're involving them so much and then you know there's other ones who whereas is more just that human frailty we're all human you, you make that mistake in the moment because you're upset and angry or whatever um what advice do you have to, you know, to someone out there who's in the thick of a very high conflict divorce and their spouse is, um, you know, behaving terribly towards them um, and they, you know, want their, ch- their children to perhaps, you know, know what the spouse is doing um, and, you know, should they tell them or what, what advice do you have on that? Kids are smarter than we give them credit for sometimes. I think they see it. Uh, I think in divorce situations that children naturally default to the parent that they feel is maybe not have the, 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 the same as the other. So I could see where my kids would cocoon in more with their mother because I guess they felt I was having a great life and she was not because she was probably sad and probably related that. Um, most of our arguments or fighting over that time was over money. Uh, she had engaged a lawyer who really went on a personal attack on me and used everything against me um, to the point where I just felt helpless. And I felt that my own uh, counsel at the time was just checking off the boxes and, and, and telling me I needed to do this and I needed to do that. And, and uh, it just, it started to make me angry. So I, I think if my anger was more focused around finances and, and what I wasn't going to have rather than what I was going to have. And, and so I, maybe that anger of myself was pushed on to the, uh, to anger against my ex-wife. And what do you think, like, if, if you say your ex-wife was saying negative things to the children about you do you suggest to other people that they get into this tit for tat or, you know, what, based on your experience, what's the best way for someone to cope with an ex who is maligning them to their children? I think everybody thinks that they need to get in the last word. You don't need to get in the last word. Sometimes you need to just walk away and, um, and, and keep quiet and your silence can speak volumes. Um, I regret, um, and more than regret, I'm really sorry for the things that I uh, had said uh, and wish I hadn't said it. And I've had to make amends with, uh, with both them and, and my ex uh, in part because I was changing as a person as I got older and I realized um, the importance of the path that our lives are on and that, yes, this person was a, a part of my life for, for many years. Uh, I never thought that we would be in a position today where uh, 
you know, we, we chat from time to time. We uh, share other uh, experiences. We've actually been out to dinner with her and her new husband. It, it, it is, it's an odd circle I never thought would happen. But time does uh, heal all. And I think it's better uh, for the kids. I'm a grandfather now. So, you know, you have. Congratulations. Thank you. You have that next stage where you want to be uh, you want to be a good role model. And uh, for many years, I wasn't. How uh, long after you divorced did you meet uh, or did you remarry? Well, I I, um, I met. My, my 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 current wife Cynthia um, during the period of separation um, so after that 2007 Christmas I met Cynthia uh, I like to say by by accident but by, by blessing in uh, early 2008 uh, she at times there was a Facebook app years ago and I, I have to thank Mark Zuckerberg for for helping me find my wife, but there was an app called Are You Interested? And and this is how I was meeting people. This was sort of before all these dating apps that are out there today. Um, initially, I'd been meeting, you know, people in their you know, 40s and with the problems. And all of a sudden, one day I decided, I think I was 46. And, and I decided, okay, I'm just going to lower my age requirement down to 35. And the first picture that popped up was Cynthia and I went whoa so you you click and you do the you know you do the talking and the chatting and uh, she had come out of a marriage uh, and she had uh, had had a daughter and and lost her to cancer at the age of two. Oh uh, wow that's awful and you know you can go one of two ways at that point you can be very bitter and I know marriages often break up when when they lose a child but I found her to be the most positive person uh, in the world. So we started dating. And uh, even though I was still in the separation uh, period, um, immediately Joanne hated Cynthia. She was everything she wasn't. She was, you know, voluptuous. She, she was blonde. She was, you know, she was younger. Um, and, and, but she never got to know the person. And when you, spend time with somebody that I feel changes my life. And for someone who went through everything that she has gone through to be as positive and to be as engaging and as kind, uh, we had a lot of shared interests, uh, shared interest of travel, shared interest in being inquisitive on so many things, food, uh, wine, these different types of things that all of a sudden I found myself, when I first met Cynthia saying, oh, I'm never going to get married again. Absolutely not. And within a couple of years, yeah, we were engaged and married and, and, uh, in fact, tying travel to everything, Cynthia and I were married in Cuba of all places in 2012. And, uh, you know, now we're uh, coming up on nine years of marriage and being together for what, 12 or 13 years. Uh, and I don't regret that one moment. Uh, and now, <laughs> if you can believe it, Cynthia and Joanne do chat from time to time on text and, <laughs> That's and in great. person, which is which is something at the beginning. There, I remember my father's funeral and uh, and Cynthia uh, coming to the funeral, and, and Joanne and her family 
were just it was the stink eye to uh to cynthia as if this home record but that wasn't the case it was you know well after this had happened but uh over time you know there's a mutual sort of understanding and respect and i give cynthia a lot of credit for being patient during this whole thing and i give joanne a lot of credit for 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 changing sort of her approach because i think she sees that Cynthia was really a good person and a different person and a person probably better suited for me. But if I had met Cynthia when I was 25, she was like 12. So uh, that, that would have been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting because one of the things I see happen with, uh, you know, some of my clients is that when one of them starts, you know, dating and gets into a relationship with a new partner, um, that new partner often becomes, starts becoming meddlesome in, uh, the, you know, the divorce proceedings or things to do with the children, with the ex and, um, and they end up creating a lot more conflict and drama and problems because they're pressuring, you know, the spouse that you, you don't, don't let your ex talk to you like that, or don't let them do this. And, um, it just ends up creating a lot of unnecessary uh, friction and problems. And I'm wondering um, if that, you know, happened in your case, because it sounds like, you know, Cynthia has such a positive attitude and mature outlook about things that, that uh, it probably didn't happen. But I'm just sort of curious to know how that part of things went. Well, so, I mean, I, I think you, you, you look at Cynthia and say, this is the person that went through one of the worst things that could ever happen to you and that she has a patience and a kindness and she just is herself. So she never tried to meddle. It was several months, almost uh, probably close to six, seven months before I even introduced the boys to her. Um, she never pushed anything. She never engaged in anything, never said anything about um, their mother. Um, that was the right approach. I think when you start to, to, to let your ego get in the way, it, um, it's a problem. You're never going to replace the mother, and she doesn't try to be that. But she's, she's a great um, uh, guide for them. She has offered them advice. She's helped them look, you know, in looking for work, uh, and um, she's a great. Uh, a great grandmother as well to, uh, to Finnegan, my, uh, my grandson. I mean, she just takes to him and, uh, we have that type of life, but I think Cynthia's focus was more on our relationship, not worrying about what the past relationship, which might be a unique quality that she has. And I, but I think anybody that needs to go through this needs to realize that, um, the focus needs to be on your relationship, not on all the other past relationships. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm always saying people need to know their role. And um, it's when they start overstepping it, um, it just can create a lot of problems. And it's amazing the number of people who do that. So kudos to Cynthia that, you know, she, it sounds like she handled the whole situation, ex you know, exactly the way somebody should in that situation. Um, now, do your sons, what's their relationship like with Cynthia? And has it always, you know, been like what it is now or did it evolve it, it took a bit of time um but you know they quite like her uh we do uh we do christmas gatherings and easter gatherings and 
Cynthia is always the first person to think of holidays and decorating and involving family. And, and to this day, to this day, we are flexible enough that I always give my ex-wife first chance. I say, you want them, you want to have them for Christmas dinner? You want to have them on Christmas Eve? Fine. We'll take them Boxing Day. We, we just adapt that way because now we can. Years ago, that wasn't always the case, but today it is the case. And I've just learned that I don't need to, to, to stand on a position and be rigid. I need to be flexible. And I think you have to be flexible and you have to think of the, the thoughts of other people. And maybe that's another thing that, that Cynthia gave me to, to the point where we have a great life and everybody around us, including the kids, are just bonus features that go with it. And, and, um, and that's healthy. And it, it, it is, I said, people who have known me for years would never have thought that I would get to this sort of mind space. Um, but boy, I tell you, it's really great to be here. And I know I have a great life and I have a great marriage and, and this is it for the rest of my life because now I'm going to go completely on record say I would never marry again if something happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Um, so now if, you know, someone out there is, um, you know, kind of in the thick of, of divorce, what, you know, would be your top three pieces of advice that you would want to give them? I think the number one is that you, you, you must take care of yourself first. And whether that's being healthy, whether that's finding activities or things that divert your attention away from the problem that you're going through with divorce. For me, it was trying to get healthier, walking more, uh, trying to do some exercise, trying to, to take care of myself a, a little bit better. Uh, two is to try to have a life plan that would include your finances and where your next steps are. Um, I immediately, uh, meeting Cynthia, started to think, well, how long was my time in the workforce going to be? I started putting a lot of money aside, uh, started working on paying off the house and doing these types of things so that we would be in a position that when I chose to retire, that we could afford to do this. And I think number three point is more the merrier, like involve people, be uh, your family is not always blood. Your family can be the people who are around you. And I have many people of different ages that are part of an extended family. So not only did I gain a new wife, but I gained friends and friends, kids and, and, and all sorts of things that I feel I'm the most fortunate person in the world. And I, I thank my lucky stars every time I walk into this house or, um, you know, go away on travel when we can do that. Uh, never thought this would be my life, but I'm sure glad it is. Well, that's great. I mean, how inspiring for, you know, for people to hear that, 
you know, life can be like divorce can lead to, you know, a better life um, and a better outcome and, you know, being at peace and in a better place, even when you go through a high conflict uh, divorce. So thank you for for sharing that. Just never, never give up. There's always a door that's open somewhere. It may not be the traditional route. It may be something different. It may never be. You know, if I think back when I was 18 or 19 about what I thought my career and my life would be like, it's nowhere close to that, but that's okay. That's well said. Um, well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your your wisdom. Um, and there's some great uh, advice in there. Um, if listeners wanted to find you and learn more about you know your current endeavors and whatnot, what's the best way for them to find you? Well, my, um, I just launched a website for my communication consulting company, stevekeycommunications.ca. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram, steve underscore key, K-E-E. Uh, I, I'm a pretty much an open book, uh, as you've, you've, you've seen as well. Um, I, uh, I'm always out there as well to help mentor people. And I've mentored a lot of young communications uh, people. I've, I've seen people I've worked with over the years go on to great things. And that those are like other parts of the extended family. So uh, I can provide a lot of insight and uh, a lot of help. And, and I'm a sympathetic ear. That's one thing I've learned as being a journalist. Um, You have to, you have two ears and one mouth. You've got to listen twice as much as you talk. (laughs) Well, I think that's all, that's great advice again. So Thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, taking some time out of uh, your, our grant, as we were t- discussing Groundhog Day, because it's like Groundhog Day every day right now with COVID. But I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to, uh, to share your insights with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I, again, continue to watch the good work you do. And, and uh, I, I, I wish you all the best success. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners. Please tune in each week. Please like, subscribe, refer your friends and family to the podcast. And I will see you here next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to you have to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.